So this morning I'm starting a new teaching series which will run through the month of February that I've entitled 17. It's actually based on the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. And the, the 17th chapter of John's Gospel is Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for those who would come to believe on him on the night that actually he was going to be arrested and the eve of his crucifixion. It's a fascinating prayer and a tremendous amount of, of really good stuff there that we're going to draw uh, from these verses in John chapter 17. I, I find often, you know, um, if, if you ever wanted to lay a guilt trip on a Christian, you talk to them about prayer. In fact, usually you don't have to make any effort, but it's probably the thing I hear more often than anything else from folks who say, well, I know I should pray more. And, and then it's followed usually by, I know I should read the Bible more. <laughs> and it's like, no, just get off the guilt trip. Just let it alone. You can't make God love you more. You are not inadequate. It's okay. We're growing. We're on a journey. It's okay. Relax. I know when I started pastoring, I'm a young guy, right? And I was, I remember when I was 22 years old, I'd, I'd started pastoring a church in the north of England in, 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 near the city of Sheffield. And not far from us, there was an older pastor in our denomination who was very highly respected and he had a huge church. But he always took an interest in, in the pastors that were around him. And I remember him speaking to me one day, and he said to me, Blackmore, he was a very warm, kind man, Blackmore, if you don't pray enough, you'll never make anything in the ministry. And he said, if you can't get up at five o'clock in the morning and pray for two hours, you should give up now. Well, I'm a vulnerable kind of young guy and I, I want to learn the ropes and I want to do the best. And I see this guy's got a huge church and I think, hey, I guess the secret is getting up at five o'clock in the morning. So I started setting my alarm and getting up at five o'clock in the morning. And, and you know what? I go to pray and fall asleep. And, and then I feel like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm never going to make it. He started calling me about six o'clock in the morning. Now, some of you remember the days where you didn't carry your phone in your pocket, but there were days when phones, I know this is weird to some of you, but a phone was attached to one place in the house. Yeah, it really was. It didn't move from there. You had to go to the phone. So our phone's downstairs. So six o'clock in the morning, I'm asleep. I hear the phone ringing. I shoot downstairs. There's only one person who's going to call me at six o'clock in the morning. So I go downstairs quickly. I grab the phone and I hear a voice saying, Blackmore, are you up? And I replied, yes, I am. Because I was. He'd woken me up. I had to get up to answer the phone. Yes, I am. He said, but Blackmore, are you down? Now, he meant, are you down on your knees praying? But I was downstairs, so I said, yes, I'm down. 
And you know what? It took me a long time to get used to this fact that all of our journeys are very personal. I discovered some months after first meeting that pastor that actually he slept every afternoon from 2 o'clock till 5 o'clock. And you know what? I could probably cope with praying at 5 o'clock in the morning if I slept for the whole of the afternoon, but that didn't fit into my lifestyle. It's easy to get guilty about praying. That's why it's important to remember the Bible says this, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You're good enough already because God could never love you more. But Jesus' prayer here in John 17 is a prayer worth taking note of and, and really worth paying some attention to. In the, in the previous chapters, Jesus is with his disciples. Again, it's the night before his crucifixion, and there are several chapters of truths that he shares with them in chapter 14 to chapter 16. He, tell, he reminded them who he was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. He told them why he was going to be leaving them. I'm going to be going away to prepare a place for you. He told them they were going to be together again. Where I am, you may be also. He told them he would take care of them still from heaven. Whatever you ask, he said, I will do. He reminded them that he loved them. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he told them they were always connected to him. I am the vine, he said, and you are the branches. And as Jesus shared these truths in those three chapters, his goals were very simple. Here's what he said they were. John 15 and verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The number one thing Jesus wanted for them going forward was that their joy would be complete. The second thing he said in chapter 16 and verse 1, he said, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. So his teaching, number one, is so that they would know full joy, Number two, so that they would stand strong in their faith. And then the third thing in verse 33 of John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, here's why I've taught you these things. I want you to have the fullness of joy. I want you to stand firm in your faith, and I want you to have peace. In the early years of our church, there were often folks who would come to join us, um, from, and, and they'd been in other churches and some for many years. And in the early years, it seemed as if we had a lot of people who, who wanted to pass on helpful suggestions as to how we should really run the church. And uh, I remember a number of people who would comment to me after they'd been here a little while and say, we really enjoy your preaching. And there was a phrase that came up so often, but you know, we can take hard preaching. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? 
I guess that meant my preaching was soft. We can take hard preaching. And then I realized, if you are looking for somebody who will verbally abuse you on a Sunday morning from the pulpit, you actually came to the wrong church. If you're looking for somebody to tell you how bad you are, you better shape up and you better get your act together, then don't look to this pastor. If you're a spiritual masochist, I'm not going to help you in that journey. I just want to do what Jesus did. He said to his disciples, my teaching has got three purposes. I want you to live with the fullness of joy. I want you to stand firm in your faith. And I want you to know unshakable peace. And whoever you are and wherever you are watching from today, I want you to know this. Those are the three goals that I always have when I step here to teach. Those three things are in my mind. I want you to live with the fullness of joy. I want you to be firm in your faith and I want you to know unshakable peace that was Jesus goal that was what he wanted so he, he teaches them these things over three chapters and then in John 17 and verse 1 he, it says this Jesus said these things the things I'm referring to and then raising his eyes in prayer he said father it's time Father, it's time. Those are three of the most significant words in the New Testament. Father, it's time. In the next 18 hours, Jesus would go through unbelievable physical mental, spiritual torture. And now he took a breath and said, Father, Father. And as now he began to take that journey, he openly declared his own identity, the Son of God. And he opened his heart and his eyes to the Father. There's a good lesson there for you and me. When you look ahead with fear, when you're looking forward with terror, when you don't know what's going to be happening next, when you don't know which way to turn, you know what's a real good thing to do? A good thing to do is pause, take a breath, look heavenward, and say, Father, Father, remind yourself who you are. And remind yourself who he is. He is our Father who is in heaven. Father, it's time. It's time. The New Testament tells us that Jesus was born when the time was just right. 
And right through the course of his earthly ministry, on a number of occasions, Jesus referred to the hour that would come, the time that is now coming. And the death of Jesus wasn't just something that a mob brought about on one particular day. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Lamb, that the, 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 he is the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the earth. God had planned human redemption. The time. The time. God knew when it would be. God knew where it would be. God knew how it would be. In fact, after the resurrection... Peter was preaching to a great crowd in Jerusalem and Peter said this, he said, you, you, you killed the prince of life. You took him with your wicked hands. But he said, you know what you really did? You did what God planned was going to happen. Idiots. They thought they were finishing Jesus off and what they were actually doing was following through with God's plan for our salvation. They crucified the Son of God. But he died as our savior and as our sacrifice. They thought he was done, but actually he was only just beginning. Father, the hour has come. And Jesus prayed. So he prays here in John 17. And there are four things we're going to look at. The first today and then the next three Sundays. Number one, Jesus prayed that we would be connected. Secondly, next week we'll look at Jesus prayed that we would know incredible joy. Thirdly, Jesus prayed we would be protected. And then fourthly, love this one, Jesus prayed we would be different. Those four things, there's a lot of other things in John 17, but we're going to highlight those four in particular. And today we're going to look at this, Jesus prayed we would be connected. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Lord knows they were a pretty kind of rowdy, disheveled mob while Jesus was there with them. And now Jesus is praying to the Father and saying, I'm not even going to be here anymore to kind of keep them in check. So here's what I'm going to ask you right now, Holy Father, through your power, I pray that you will protect them so that they may be one as we are one. And then in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. Now, this is where John 17 becomes particularly relevant to you and me. So Jesus says, look, I, he started off praying for, I guess, the 11, because Judas was going to go off and do his thing. So he started praying for the 11, but then he goes on in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Now, look at this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, now I want you to pause there and just to tell yourself, hey, that's me. I pray for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prays there for his immediate followers and for everyone who would come to believe on him. And his prayer is that they may be one. That they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays that his followers would be united, would be connected. And part of the miracle of the family of God is that connection. In, in fact, there's a, there's a great word in Psalm 133 that talks about unity. And basically it says this, unity is wonderful. That's what the Bible says. Unity is wonderful. Psalm 133, verse 1. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. And every parent said amen. But this talking, so this talking about it's kind of in a church setting, God's family setting. It's wonderful when brothers and sisters get along, when we are connected, when we are united. I love the fact that God did not leave us to do life alone, but God intended that we should be part of family. So God brings us into church family. I'm standing here because it's, uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday today. And last year on Super Bowl Sunday, we, uh, we did... We, we did we did two services, of course, back that time. In both of our services, we had a whole kind of football theme going. And uh, people wore the, the shirts for their teams. And um, thank God did it without there being too much open animosity. But everybody wore their, their team shirts and stuff. And we had, we had different things going on. And we had a whole video presentation of players who were playing in the Super Bowl later that day, talking about their faith in Christ. And, and then we did a huge breakfast, which was fantastic. I, I think we had 65 feet of hero. So we had 65 foot of breakfast hero, eggs and sausage and bacon and cheese and like heart attack on a plate. It was wonderful. <laughs> I saw a a couple of photographs of that the other day, of that Sunday. Our cafe area, which was absolutely packed with people. And when I saw it at first, you know, I was sad. Because we can't do that anymore. And I was really, I was, I, it, it really got to me. It, it, really, it really did get to me. And then, you know, I turned it around and instead of dwelling on what was and saying, what a pity, I looked at the picture again and said, thank God we did it. Thank God for that memory. Thank God for that time. And this Super Bowl Sunday life's very different. Heck, it's incredibly different. <laughs> I'm here. Charlotte's here. Dave's doing sound. John's doing video. Uh, that's it. The house is not packed and nobody brought us a breakfast hero. But you know something? In the first chapter of John's gospel, it says this about Jesus. It said, he is the light who shone in the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. 
And I am so blessed this year that you know what is true of Jesus is true about the church of Christ. It's been a dark 12 months and very dark for some people. But our light still shines. The darkness could not put it out. And the fact is this, I haven't seen the majority of our church family for almost a year now. But the beauty is this, we're still connected, we're still united, and we are still one. It's a wonderful thing. The unity of God's family is a wonderful thing. I'm declaring it too. Charlotte's not the only one with a new shirt. Connected, connected. We're still connected. We're still united. And, and our fundamental identity is this. We're the children. We're the people of God. I'm so glad that I'm a child of God. But I am also very happy this Sunday morning that I can also say I'm part of Genesis. I'm part of Genesis. God's brought us together. The unity of the family of God is precious, it's miraculous, it's indescribable. Somebody said to me the other day, he said, the, the first time I came into the church building, I just sensed the warmth and the love. Now, I don't know how you, you can't create that stuff. You can't make that stuff happen. But the fact is, when brothers and sisters are together and are united and are getting along, the fact is what you've got is something that is wonderful and something that is beautiful. And my encouragement to you today is do everything you can to make sure you stay connected, stay united. You're having to go a little bit like the extra mile to make that happen right now. But the fact is, stay connected because God, what God has given us is so very, very precious. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 38, God says this, they will be my people, I will be their God. I'll make, I'll make them of one mind and one heart. I'll make them of one mind and one heart. Unity is wonderful. We live in an unbelievably divided country. It's nasty. Romans 15 and verse 7 says this, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And because unity is a wonderful thing, we need to be beware of things that could divide us. Listen, we don't need to agree on everything to still respect each other and love each other and value each other. Do you know in that group of 12 disciples that Jesus had, he had ultra-conservatives and left-wing radicals. It's like, really? Didn't Jesus know better? Here's the thing. 
We don't have to agree politically, but we must not be disagreeable. Because what unites us is our identity as the family of God. And after that, everything else is very, very secondary. Heck, you know, we've got folks who don't come to live service because they they don't want to wear a mask. And then we've got other people who would not come if people were not wearing masks. We've got people who think that the COVID uh, vaccination is an answer to prayer. And we've probably got some folks who think it's part of some dastardly plot. There, 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 there's, you know, there are, some, there are some people who think that believers could lose their salvation. And there are other people who believe the Bible. Sorry, I was just being a bit naughty there. No, I wasn't. I'm telling the truth. But doctrinal differences shouldn't separate us either. Those things don't matter. Here's a big eye-opener for some folks. Heaven will be filled with people like Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Episcopalians, Catholics, Presbyterians, every denomination under the sun, and a good sprinkling of people who are non-denominational like we are. There's only one thing that matters ultimately. Ephesians 4 verse 5, Paul says we believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and who is in us all. We must not let things that are secondary divide us. What we need to do is we need to relish, cherish, and we need to make sure that we do our best to strengthen the bonds that really hold us together. And that bond is the bond that means that every single one of us who knows Jesus can lift our eyes to heaven and say, Father, Father, that's what really matters. That's what really counts. Unity is wonderful, the Bible says. Now, the Bible also says this. It says that unity is powerful. I'm going to go back to Psalm 133 here, which is one of the shortest psalms in the Bible, but it's packed with significance. Psalm 133, verse 2. It gives us a picture here. It says, It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. So what Psalm 133 is saying is this, that when people are connected and when people are united, like it doesn't stop there among them, but it has an influence that's wider than they are. What I was going to do today is have a bottle of oil available and pull up here one unsuspecting person from the front row. If you're a front row regular, be glad you're not here today. And I was going to pull you up here and I was going to illustrate that when you pour oil on someone's head, it doesn't stay on their head. Well, I wasn't going to actually do it, but I was going to get enough, close enough to make them scared, you know. But you get the picture. If you pour oil on somebody, it goes all the way down. And here's what Psalm 133 says. It's, it, it says that when, when God's people are one, then what happens there is, is that it has an ongoing impact. Listen, 
We have got, I'm talking to everyone who knows the Lord, we have got the most important things, the most important things in life. We've got the things that everybody else is looking for. We have faith, we have a foundation, we have a family given to us, and we have a future. Faith, foundation, family, future. That is what the world is longing for. That is what everybody is yearning for. But they won't find them unless somebody shows them to them. Jesus said that our oneness would have an impact on the world around us. John 17 verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, okay? Just as you are in me and I am in you. Look at the next bit. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays that his people will be united, will be connected, so that out of the living example of community, the world's going to see something different. The lost will see something different. For too long, the church has been known for what they're against. Too long the church has been negative about so much in this world. There is a lot of negative stuff going on in this world. And a lot of people have got so messed up, but they don't need pushing down. They need to see something that's different. And Jesus' prayer was that the church would be that something different. So that folks could see a community that cares, a community that loves, a community that supports, a community that lifts up, a community where people could feel at peace, at ease, valued, respected, loved, and wanted. That's the church. That's the church. Jesus prays that we'll be one so that the world would believe. In John 13 and verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. Now, the disciples, because of their Jewish tradition and background, would all have been very well acquainted with the Ten Commandments. So they knew things like don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, all the other things there that you don't do. And then Jesus says, I want to give you a new command. Let's forget all the don't do stuff for now. Let me give you something to do. Love one another. Love one another. There's one thing that Jesus wants us to do. Have you guessed what it is? Love one another. And when God's people love one another, Jesus said, the world's going to believe your message. John 13, 35. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is like that oil. It doesn't stop there, but it goes on. Unity is powerful. The, the great British preacher from a long time ago, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this once. He said, it is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. It's the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. We become the messengers of hope. We become the, 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 the eyes and or the hands and the feet of Jesus. We become the means that God uses to reach out and to touch those that really need Christ. How do we do that? We do that by acting together. We do that by combining our efforts to show mercy to those that are in need, to show love to those that are isolated. And we can do so much together as church family to make a whole difference. Jesus prayed that his followers would be connected so that the world would believe. My encouragement to you this Sunday morning is make sure you're connected. Make sure you stay connected. Don't let anything pull you away. Because when God's people are united together, they can have an impact on this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay connected. Stay committed. If you're watching today and you're not really a connected part of any church family, I want to encourage you. God wants you to be. And I know there are people who get burned in churches, and I know there are people that get hurt by other Christians because you know what? The fact we're Christians doesn't mean we're perfect. We don't always do or say the right things. But I want to encourage you today, if you've been disconnected, to take a step forward and to say, I really need to connect for me with the family of God. And if you don't have a church family, I want to encourage you, check us out again another Sunday. And if you come to a place where you say, that's where I want to belong, wherever you are, you don't have to be local, you don't have to be able to get here to a service, but from wherever you are, we invite you to join our church family and share with us on this journey. There's a practical way you can do that, actually. There's a link at the top of our post on Facebook where we've got this um, service live streaming today. There's a link right there you can go to, and it says connect. And when you hit that link, um, you send us some of your information or just the way to contact you. And, and you're saying, you know what, I want to be more of a part of this church than a spectator some Sundays. And if that's where you're at, then we would love to see you. We'd love to have you join us. Because the bottom line is this, for our sake, and for a dying world's sake, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that when we didn't stand a chance, you sent your son and he opened the gateway to eternal life for us so that we can say we're no longer strangers to God. We're no longer people who don't belong, but we are now the children of God. Father, help us, I pray. Help us to value that oneness. Help us, Lord, to guard that oneness. And help us, Father, I pray, to do all that we can to stay connected so that we might influence a world that needs Jesus for your glory. Amen.